This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. Listener supported WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. The Banshees of Inisharan, a bittersweet ode to the demise of an old friendship, is a major player at the Academy Awards this year. It's earned a total of nine nominations, including Best Actor, Best Picture, and Best Director for Martin McDonough. McDonough, who also wrote the film, has been consistently making original and thoughtful movies like In Bruges and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which have managed to connect with big audiences without ever sacrificing his unique voice and perspective on the world. The Banshees of Inisharan is set in 1923, and it takes place in the remote hills of a fictional island west of Ireland. It's a showcase for its lead actors, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. It's also a master class in screenwriting. Now, I'm sitting here next to you, and if you're going back inside, I'm following you inside, and if you're going home, I'm following you there too. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. And if I've said something to you, maybe I said something when I was drunk and I've forgotten it, but I don't think I said something when I was drunk and I've forgotten it. But if I did, then tell me what it was. And I'll say sorry for that too, Colin. With all my heart, I'll say sorry. Just stop running away from me like some fool of a moody schoolchild. But you didn't say anything to me. And you didn't do anything to me. Well, that's what I was thinking, like. I just don't like you no more. You do like me. I don't. You liked me yesterday. Oh, did I? Yeah. I thought you did. Martin McDonough spoke to New Yorker staff writer Patrick Radden Keefe at the New Yorker Festival last year. It's it's kind of a, a breakup movie. So that's that's all it is for me. I mean, that was definitely the starting point of it, um, to be as uh, truthful to the sadness, I suppose, of a of a horrible breakup, um, where you can kind of understand both sides in it. I think that was the balance that I think you're naturally on Colin Farrell's side, definitely to begin with, and even in the script writing stage. But um, the trick, not the trick, but the uh, the thing to get right was to see of, as much of the story from uh, from Brendan Gleeson's point of view too. Did you? So, and was that what it was from the original conception then? 
Uh, yeah, there was there was an earlier version of it just a few years before where it, it didn't quite. It went to a plotty kind of um, stupid, shitty place. Um, and uh, um, no, really. And uh, but I just wanted this to be sort of plotless in, in a way, just to have the unraveling of this breakup uh, be what the whole story was about. Did you write the, having worked with these two actors before in In Bruges, um, I mean, a very, very different movie, and yet one in which their dynamic is everything in the way that it is here. Did you write this one with them in mind? Oh, yeah, very much so. We've sort of been wanting to get together in the 14, 14 years since uh, we made that. It hasn't quite happened. Obviously, I worked with uh, Colin again for uh, Seven Psychopaths, but um, I'd stayed friends with both of them. Um, we always see each other if we're in each other's countries, and they've remained great friends. So we always uh, hoped that something like this would come about. Um, I've been very lazy about it. and I'm, <laughs> you, know, you got around to, to it. When you got around to it, you got around to it? Yeah. The fear was, because you know, we all loved In Bruges, and we love how much people love In Bruges, um, but when you're getting the team back together, you don't want to fuck up that uh, that love. You know, you don't want to do something that's lesser. You know, you can do something. I hope we've done something that's stranger, but definitely something that isn't um, uh, not as good. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, there's an aspect. It seemed to me there's a kind of fable quality to the story, and I want to talk about Ireland. So, I mean. Y- y- because you're you're a Londoner, but grew up with Irish parents and spent time in Ireland during the summers when you're growing up. Yeah, and your parents live there now, right? Yeah. Not far from where the film was made. And, yeah. and so much of your work has taken place in Ireland, and yet in the plays, I think there's sometimes also this like slightly fable kind of fairy tale quality. And I guess I just wondered is the is the place where these stories took is is it a real place? Or is it a kind of Ireland of the mind? I wonder about your your relationship to... It's. I, I think it's a sort of theatrical Irish place. You know, this island doesn't actually exist, but obviously the Civil War was a real thing and did... Um, uh, it, it is a very interesting part of the backdrop, so that takes away a little bit from the fable quality. But I think if you set anything 100 years ago and lean into mysticism and banshees and folklore and all that stuff, it's going to have... Um, some semblance of that kind of thing. And do you ever feel? I mean, I I hope you'll take this question in, in the right way because I, you know I'm an, I'm an, I'm a New Yorker who wrote a book about Ireland myself. But do, do you ever feel? Do you ever feel like there's a trespass or there's a license that you're taking? Is that something you're totally untroubled by, or is it something that that you're kind of mindful of at all? I mean, untroubled by it until the Irish re- reviews come in. <laughs> Then things get troubling. Um, but um, but no, I mean, it's like more than just summer holidays as a kid. It's like we, we grew up in London. All of the families around us were Irish. And um, so you'd hear Irish music blaring from each side of, of, of our little... Uh, area where we grew up uh mom and dad were very proud to be irish and you know encourage it in us almost too much um and but we'd go for christmases our pet grandparents were still alive in sligo at that time 
So as a child, it felt like we were half the year there and half the year in London. Obviously, my accent is very London, but uh, London Irish is probably a, a good way to describe me. I've, I don't have a, a British passport, um, which is probably a good move these days. Um, I've only had an Irish one. But I've always, also always sort of been anti-nationalist um, and uh, anti-patriotic and all those things. So the whole Irish-English thing... I kind of find a bit boring these days. Yeah, um, the uh, that makes one of us. Um, the um, I I read somewhere that the um, that you first that it was kind of a breakthrough for you as a writer when, with plays initially that you kind, that you thought about the way in which your your father and I think your uncle maybe spoke that there was a sort of idiom that you you stumbled upon and in the way that, you know, I mean, I would imagine in the way that for Mamet or Pinter, they, they kind of discovered a register and an idiom that that unlocked something. Exactly. In fact, Pinter and Mamet were sort of the two big influences and sort of too much of an influence, in fact, because all of the stuff I was attempting to write then was sort of English or American-based and very much sort of rip-offs of, you know, the birthday party or um, American Buffalo to a degree. And it was only once I... But I knew I wanted to to have dialogue be more theatrical than, than than it is in real life. And I thought those were the best two people around uh, who were doing that. Um, but it was when I tried to do that in, in a West of Ireland context that things did uh, open up and allowed the, the dialogue and the characters even to be a bit more poetic and heightened than the everyday uh, London kind of stuff that I was trying to do. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. More to come. WNYC Studios is supported by Lincoln Financial. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you are not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc., copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. This episode is brought to you by Empower. Can you retire early? Will there be enough money to leave an inheritance? Do you have savings for life's important milestones? If you have money questions, Empower has answers so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. I'm Roz Chast from The New Yorker. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. If you're a bad protein in a cancer cell, you'd better get your affairs in order. Because now, thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target cancer-causing proteins and destroy them right inside the cell. This take-no-prisoners approach is making a difference in multiple myeloma and other blood cancers and is how Dana-Farber is working to treat previously untreatable cancers. 
Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. I wanted to ask you, because you've had this fascinating career where you started with plays um, and then moved into film and, and have continued to do both. But I went back and I started reading these interviews that you did early in your career, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. You suddenly burst onto the scene, this young guy in his 20s. You'd written seven plays in less than a year and just came out of nowhere. Um, and there were these amazing interviews where you would talk to people who were clearly filled with a kind of wonder and envy. And they would say, like, you know, you're the first person since Shakespeare to have four shows simultaneously in London. Like, how do you do it? And your reaction was always, eh, theater's fine. What I really want to do is get into movies. <laughs> um, and you could feel they were so kind of crestfallen. The, um, I, I feel terrible because I know Fenton O'Toole, um, but I have to quote you this. This is you and Fenton O'Toole in 1998 for Bomb magazine. You said, I would be unhappy if I wrote 90 good plays and didn't make a good film. But if I made one good film, if I made one brilliant film, one really, really good film, I'd be happy. One would be enough. And, um, and then you say, like, clearly you're <laughs> kind an of... an arrogant little dick. You're sort of, no, but what I love is that it's Fenton who's there and he's like, he's celebrating your, your you know, budding career as a playwright. Clearly there was something going on in his face because you then say, you really love theater, maybe, to him. And, and Fenton says... I do. <laughs> um, oh, sweet Fintan. So here's what I... Here's and his what, love of theater. Here's exactly, right? So here's what I wondered. Is, um, I wonder a couple of things. I mean, one is uh, when you sit down to write something, how do you know if it's a movie or a play? Uh, if it's got four characters and it's set inside, it's a play. <laughs> and it, if it doesn't have any donkeys or dogs... Cats, it could go Cats either way. Cats, you can manage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, um, and you, you said to The Guardian recently that you may want to devote the remainder of your career chiefly to films. Well, it's something, uh, weirdly, it kind of, it's, I don't know if it's just because um, Brendan Gleeson's character is on my mind, but definitely during COVID, <clears throat> um, one does, you know, think of time passing and how much time you've got left. And I've sort of discovered as years gone by that it takes as much time or longer to do a play to get it on, you know, off West End in London to West End to off Broadway to, to here. That'll be like four, four years or so, whereas, you know, we made this last year and it's out now. Um, so to take care of a play from start to finish does, you know, take take... Uh, a similar amount of time. I do feel like, you know, the plays that we got good like 25 years ago, you can't see them. They're all gone, you know, forever. And there's a sadness to that, I feel. And and, and as as the years go on, I always, <clears throat> as much as I used to slide plays off, I did do love them um, if they're done my way. Um, no, if they're done in a certain way, you know, Pinter's way or Early Mammoth's way or, or whatever. But... Um, uh, now I, I'm I, I'm not going to swear off plays because if I get a good play idea I'll, I'll jump into it. But if I'm th- seriously thinking about if you you know you got twenty years thirty years left, uh, you know a film every couple of years is going to last more than a play will. How do you decide on the setting of your movies and how do you do the research? Um, uh, well, for the, for this one certainly I. I 
my my parents live just across the bay from the Aran Islands, so uh, and that whole area of the West, Connemara, up through Sligo and Mayo, is all and all the way down to Cork and Kerry. The whole West is. I sound like the Irish tourist board now too, but uh, it, it is the most beautiful part of the country, I think. Um, and I always wanted to set something there and and capture the beauty of it um, with uh, with three billboards. Also, it was to you know to try and capture uh, uh, almost a, an old uh, American small town with like a street that's kind of both sides close together and you know a one horse sort of town. Um, so location is 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 always and obviously Bruges was um, uh, the, uh, Bruges was a character. I, I do like the locations to be characters in in the movies as much as possible. When you watched the film for the first time, did you find it sadder or more hopeful than you originally anticipated? Um, I think I was always trying to make it as sad as possible. Um, uh, once it's finished, it's, I don't think I've got enough distance to, to know where it lies right now. Maybe I'll ask people afterwards. Um, who actually show of hands, who, who would, is going to be sad or hopeful? Who think it's a sad film oh shit well mission accomplished any any hope out there oh wow okay so that's i guess it's a sad film um we're definitely not going to win the oscar (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much martin for coming thank you to all of you for coming to the new yorker festival good night Staff writer Patrick Radden Keefe with Martin McDonough at last year's New Yorker Festival. The Banshees of Inisharan has been nominated for nine Academy Awards, including Best Original Screenplay and Best Director for Martin McDonough. That's it for this episode of the New Yorker Radio Hour. Thank you for listening. See you next time. The New Yorker Radio Hour is a co production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Chirina Endowment Fund. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com.